everybody, and welcome to episode 243 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam, and I'm joined by Jill. Jill, how's it going? Good, how are you? Good. It's finally not going to be a million degrees by the time people hear this in, in Cleveland. Not complaining, but it's just like we've had one of the, uh, we had a weird like week and a half where it was like 95 with 95% humidity for a while there. It was not fun. Yeah. Not fun. Some arrived in a big way. Um, we are giving as a bonus episode on this weekend because Big Library Read is back. Yay! So do you want to tell everybody, because you did the interview for this one, so you want to tell everyone you know, who the author is and a little bit about the book? I, I can do that. Sure. Go for <laughs> it. So I got to interview, well, first we should probably say what this is. So it's our Big Library Read, as mm-hmm. you, you did say that, right? It's also, okay, so we're recording this the Thursday after 4th of July, so we're all... A little, a little wonky, yeah. A little wonky. Okay. It's a weird week. So Big Library Read, for those that don't know, is our global ebook club where um, you can go to your local li- library's Overdrive page and be able to check out the Big Library Read book um, without any wait lists or holds and, you know, participate in reading it with everybody else who's reading it. And there's fun forums and chats and you can talk about the book and all that fun stuff yeah so it's from july 9th through the 23rd so like jill said you can go and you can borrow the title with no wait list or holds and then if you visit biglibrary.com that's where we will have a discussion board and uh you'll see people from all over the world giving their thoughts on the book which is cowboy pride by Lacey williams which i know you're going to talk about in a second um yeah, it's really cool. You can use the hashtag Big Library Read on social media to share your thoughts as well for a chance to win. Uh, if you're a library, you can win a free collection of romance titles. And if you are a reader who uses library, a library, you can win a free device from us, I believe. So lots of cool stuff going on. Um, and again, all the information is going to be on BigLibraryRead.com. But I will let you talk about the the interview and the book a little bit. Discussion boards. That was the word I couldn't think of. Discussion board. Yeah, I always do that too. I'm like, it's a for it's a place where people talk about things together, like they discuss uh, it. Okay, yeah. so Cowboy Pride is a Western cowboy version of Pride and Prejudice. Um, and so Lacey and I, she's a huge fan of Jane Austen and in particular Pride and Prejudice, and so she has written many, many romance novels set in. Um, cowboy scenes western scenes historical westerns that kind of thing and she decided to write an adaptation of pride and prejudice set in that same time period so that was selected as big library read we talk a little bit about um jane austen pride and prejudice one thing that is interesting is that Lacey is a self-published author she had previously published with um, a traditional publisher she has i think she said 10 or 11 books that um, were published that way, but then she decided to make the leap to self-publishing. So we kind of talk a bit about that transition and then just self-publishing in general. Um, yeah, so I think it's I think it's an interesting adaptation of, of this particular story. So she said she, she got to have fun with it because characters who had been very sort of secondary in the original Pride and Prejudice, she was able to make them um, more main characters in her version. Yeah, and um, because I know people always ask on the discussion board and also on social media, the big library titles are selected through a popular vote. So if you are not receiving emails from Overdrive, we send weekly trending titles, newsletters, basically like 
book recommendations and news about Overdrive going on. Um, if you don't currently receive those, if you go to overdrive.com, you can sign up for our email newsletters there. Um, and yeah, we send out a basically a voting where we collect a bunch of titles from publishers for the big library read, and then our readers pick which one they want. So it was really cool to see an independent author um, be able to to win. So I'm excited for everyone to discover this. Agreed. Yeah. Um, if you are hearing this in your library and you want to promote this, it's not too late. You can also go to biglibrary.com. We have marketing materials and all sorts of stuff. So no matter who's listening, there's something for you guys on biglibraryread.com. I uh, hope you guys will check this out. The program starts on July 9th. Yes, what's up? You are giving me a Oh, no, no I couldn't tell up. if you were going to like sign off because we hadn't done any of our... Oh, no, I was just... I was just, just repeating checking. information in case people somehow forgot it over 30 seconds. Uh, if you want to get a hold of Jill and I and not other people reading the Big Library Read, you can go to professionalbooknerds.com and you can find our Twitter and Instagram, which is ProBookNerds. You can find an email address for us there, which is professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. And you can find a link to our reading community, which is hosted on Viber there as well. So you can get lots of fun bookish recommendations and see what people all around the world are reading and where they're reading and all sorts of cool stuff like that. Is that everything? I think so. Cool. All right. Anything else you think people should know about Big Library Read or summer or life? Not really. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this special Big Library Read edition of the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Jill, and with me today is USA Today bestselling author Lacey Williams. She is the author of more than 40 books, and her titles have been nominated for the RT Book Review Seal of Excellence Award, the Golden Quill, and the Booksellers Best Award. Her novel, Cowboy Pride, was recently selected to be the latest big library read pick. Lacey, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Jill. I'm really excited to be here. Can you start by giving our listeners a brief introduction to Cowboy Pride? Sure. Um, Cowboy Pride is a Wild West version of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. Um, I wrote it because that is one of my favorite Jane Austen books, and um, it was uh, really fun to write. Uh, so it's a little bit different in that uh, Jane and Bingley, actually, you get to see their love story a lot more than you do in the original Pride and Prejudice. Um, and it's also got lots of cowboys, lots of fun Wild West um, kind of events including a train robbery in it. So it was, it was, I like it. Um, I know that so many of your books take place sort of in that cowboy wild west uh, genre. What is it that um, about that particular setting do you like so much? Sure. Um, so when I was a kid, my dad always would read bedtime stories to me and my brother and sister. And as we got a little bit older and got into chapter books, one of his favorite things to read to us was um, Louis L'Amour books. <laughs> Although he did um, edit out some of the, the more intense stuff and <laughs> the language out of them as <laughs> we were kids. Um, so, and in addition to that, we grew up on my grandpa's farm until I was about 12. Um, so we had kind of the, the country setting, um, and lots of room for my imagination to kind of run wild. Um, so I think that's really one of the reasons that makes, uh, writing historical Westerns, uh, really fun for me. Uh, you know, there's just something about a cowboy, um, you know, there's kind of the, 
And I know a lot of it is just, um, you know, kind of how we glorify it uh, and fictionalize it and stuff like that. But there's something about the idea of loyalty and, and a guy who sticks by his guns and that kind of thing. Uh, so I love cowboys and I love the, um, the historical kind of uh, setting to write about. Actually, I'm kind of a research nerd, so I love finding out about all the different things from the past, just how, how people lived and the things that they did. I think it's so interesting. And of course, you mentioned um, Pride and Prejudice. And what do you think it is about that particular Jane Austen novel that is so enduring after all of these years? Um, I would have to say that a lot of it is Mr. Darcy. <laughs> um, yeah, there is just something about um, a guy who, uh, you know, he made his mistakes, and obviously Lizzie made her mistakes too, but um, a guy who made mistakes and then basically tried to do anything that he could to redeem himself of those mistakes. Even if he wasn't going to get the heroine back, he was going to do what he had to to make things right. Um, Jane just had... Jane Austen had such a way with words. Um, just the the way that her characters relate to each other. I think there's still something magical about that. All of these um, years later, and you know, some of the themes in there are still lasting themes, like family loyalty. I think a lot of people can identify with that, even if we don't have perfect families. You know, we would like to think that we would be there for each other, no matter what. So given, you know, those themes of family and loyalty and pride and prejudice and, and what you had said about the historical uh, Western, did you find it easy to adapt it to that genre? Um, I, uh, the way that I write is I am, uh, you know, there's two main thoughts of writing when you're an author. One is a plotter and one is a seat of the pants writer. And that's where you just like open up a document and just start writing. And I'm actually kind of a mix between the two. So I usually start a book with sort of a roadmap of where it's going, but I also really like to be surprised by the story. And so writing something like um, a spinoff of Pride and Prejudice, I actually found it really kind of difficult because basically the roadmap was laid out for me mm-hmm. with the entire book. <laughs> um, so, you know, and, and I didn't follow everything exactly, but I definitely had high points that I wanted to hit, um, you know, emotional parts of the original Pride and Prejudice that I really wanted to bring to my story and, and um, you know, make them my own as part of that. So um, there were a couple of parts in the middle of writing the book that I found myself sort of tearing out my hair and going back to this Excel file that I had made out of all the scenes of Pride and Prejudice (laughs) and really trying to figure it out. And I think that bringing um, Jane and Bingley's story into it really helped me with um, the creativity part from my side of being able to just reimagine what their side of the story might have been like, because we didn't see a lot of that in the original um, Pride and Prejudice. So just imagining, you know, what Jane's backstory would have been and why she felt like she had to be so shy and hold herself back so much, um, that kind of stuff uh, really kind of freed me up from that. Um, This actually was not the first book that I had done that was um, a spinoff. So I also have a series of five books that are contemporary Westerns, and they are spinoffs of um, fairy tales. So they were really fun to write as well. Um, One of the things that I found out when I was writing those, though, was that um, I actually have small kids. I have four small kids. And so we watch a lot of Disney movies and princesses and happily ever afters with them. 
so I thought it would be really fun to do these um, fairy tale spin-off stories. And when I um, started writing them and actually doing research on what the original fairy tales were, I discovered that some of the original ones are actually kind of scary. <laughs> they, um, you know, fairy tales originally uh, were put out there to have a moral of the story and, and kind of teach people how to live the right way. And so some of them did not end happy or some of them had, um, you know, parts of the story that were not super happy. Uh, so rewriting those and, and reimagining them in a contemporary setting where readers, you know, writing for today's readers and what they want to see in a romance specifically um, was a little bit tricky. Um, and I did enjoy the challenge. Um, you know, I, as a writer, I really always want to keep challenging myself to do better and try new things and stuff like that. Uh, so I, I don't know that I would do it again, but I really <laughs> enjoyed it. And I feel like I learned a lot from it. So now I have to ask about your process because you mentioned you have a, you had an Excel spreadsheet of all of this the scenes from Pride and Prejudice. So that is something that I normally um, do not do. I do most of my brainstorming and character development and my sort of road mapping the plot. I usually do that longhand, and I don't know. There's something about having actual paper and a pencil or a pen and, you know, the motions of the letter. I don't know what it is. For me, there's something sort of magical about that process. And I have in the past tried to bring that to computer. Uh, there's lots of different programs out there that can really help you. You know, that I write in Scrivener, uh, which I love, which is a writing program. And it has this part where you can do note cards of your scenes and, like, make little notes and rearrange them if you need to. So I thought it would be really cool to be able to do it like that. And then the more that I have written, I just, my brain does not work like that. <laughs> um, so... For me, it's paper and a pen um, and doing all that stuff. And then actually, I have learned, uh, I take snapshots of uh, usually all of the plotting and, and work that I do on the characters. So then I have them, you know, on my phone or on my computer, wherever I'm at, and I can go back to them. So I, I still bring them into the electronic age. But there's something about doing it on paper um, that really works for me. I typically do not do an Excel spreadsheet or anything like that. I really had that one because I really wanted it to match up to the original Pride and Prejudice, you know, as far as feel um, and that kind of thing. Um, so uh, for me, I start, and I will usually do a couple of weeks of brainstorming and kind of thinking about the characters, thinking about what their flaws are, their past hurts, what really made them into the people that they are. And then I just take off and start writing, and I... Do I'm a, I usually write a pretty quick first uh, draft and go through that process, and then I will have a period where I do revisions, and those for me usually take a little bit longer. So that's um, just kind of reading, rereading the story, looking at where the overall high points are, figuring out if I have enough characters. Sometimes I have too many characters. There was one book that I had to completely ax somebody out of it, um, so she did not exist in the final <laughs> draft of the oh. book. Um, just lots of stuff like that. And then from that point on, um, it goes off to my editor. So when I started writing, I worked uh, with a traditional publisher and I did 11 books with them, uh, New York publisher, one of the big five. And um, I really liked my editor and I really liked working with them. But um, as the industry has changed over the last several years, I actually have moved to where I'm now um, a totally indie author. I totally uh, independently publish all of my books now. And so when I sent it off to my editor, it's a freelance editor that I work with. Um, 
she'll send it back to me and I have lots of notes and things that I need to go back and fix. And I'm also really, really bad at commas. Um, I always feel like they should go where it naturally sounds like they should go in a sentence and not where they're really supposed to go. Um, so she's, she's an angel and she fixes all of my things like that. Um, and then after, after I go back through it again, it goes on to some proofers and then starts all the final production process where it actually gets put up for sale and all that fun stuff. So we've had independent authors on the podcast before, but I don't think we've had anyone who started with a traditional publisher and then moved to indie publishing. What was your decision behind that? And what was the transition like in terms of then um, writing new books as an indie publisher or as an indie writer? Sure. Um, So each uh, publisher, traditional publisher, really has their own contract structure. And as a writer, you really want to be careful and make sure what your contract says. Um, some of them have like a non-compete clause or uh, something in the contract that says that you can't write about these same characters in the books that you did for the traditional publisher uh, on your own or for a certain length of time or stuff like that. Um, so I always, uh, I get this question sometimes and I always encourage people to make sure they know what their contract says about those things. My contract did not. So I was basically free to write um, whatever I wanted to write. Um, and my thought process kind of was, I heard a lot of people talking about being an indie authors and the market was really opening up and readers were interested in um, just having more stuff to read. And as an avid reader, I totally get that. Um, there's some, I, I don't read a lot while I'm in the process of writing a book, but in between that, I read tons of stuff and I totally get when you finish like a series of your favorite author and you need the next book to go on to, <laughs> like finding out something new and amazing and the way that the market was changing really kind of opened that up to um, indie authors. And so I was really excited um, to try it. And I actually did try it as I was finishing out my last contract with um, the publisher. So I had published a couple of shorter novellas while I was finishing writing for them, uh, which was, uh, difficult. Uh, I know I am friends with some people who are hybrid authors who kind of do both at the same time, and I have no idea how they make that work in their schedule. I think there was a, a period during that year, in like 15 months, I wrote 450,000 words, which is basically like four and a half big, long trade trade size books. <laughs> and um, that for me was really stressful to try and do that. And I had a reason why I wanted to test out the indie market before I really jumped into it. Um, but I don't know that I would ever be able to, to do that pacing. <laughs> it was really <laughs> stressful. Um, but uh, so I kind of jumped in and what I found was that I really liked a lot of the parts of doing it on my own. Um, I liked being in control of the cover art, um, which my publisher did a really great job with. But sometimes, uh, you know, there's kind of a disconnect there. I know the characters so well or the story so well, and they are having the cover done by someone in an office who hasn't read my book and just has kind of pieces of, of, of the storyline. And uh, so sometimes there would be a disconnect there. I also really like um, having editorial control. So mm-hmm. being able to write the stories the way that I want to. Like I said, I do still use editors. And um, 
one of the things right now when I'm doing it on my own is if I write a book and it flops and it doesn't sell at all, I don't really have anybody to blame other than myself <laughs> because I'm the one who approved the story and I'm right. the one who approved the edits and all of that stuff. Um, so uh, I like having the editorial control, but there's also a lot of responsibility there. Um, you know, with each book, I want my readers to feel as if I've done better than the last book. I always, I, I have in mind, you know, a promise to my readers that when I'm writing a book, I'm going to write it the absolute best that I can and really give them an emotional story that they won't want to put down, you know, even if it means they're staying up into the middle of the night. Um, so that commitment to my readers uh, really pushes me to make it the best um, that it can be. But like I said, if it's, if the book doesn't do well, I really don't have anybody else to blame other than myself. Yeah, I always imagine that, you know, the, the idea of being a, a self-published author, there's a lot of work that you have to do even just after the book is published to get it out there into the world. Absolutely. There really is. Um, one of the things that I found, though, that was a lot the same moving from traditional to being an indie author is still um, that discoverability. You know, publishers, they do have a lot of resources. They have a lot of money they can put into marketing new releases and doing print advertising and stuff like that. Some of those things, um, it's really hard to tell whether there's a return on it or not, whether it actually is selling books or doing stuff like that. And if you're a mid-list author like me, you might maybe get um, advertising one year. You might not get it the next year. Um, you just It's really hard to know with the publisher. So I always, from the very beginning, was really, really interested in marketing my books, having an email list that people could join, um, really finding new ways to get my book out there in front of the readers. So going indie, that part of it for me did not change a lot. Um, now this, I will say marketing is one of the places that I do have an Excel spreadsheet and I do track <laughs> everything. Um, I actually, um, side note, I graduated uh, college with a degree in accounting, um, thanks to my mom uh, kind of steering me in that direction. And I worked as an accountant for a while as an auditor for a CPA firm. So I do still love Excel spreadsheets. I just don't love them for plotting. <laughs> and um, as an indie author, I really want to focus on kind of what works. Um, as I said, I have four small kids and I don't have a lot of extra time to, to put on what doesn't really work. And so actually I found that a lot of the marketing has really gone um, just building the relationships with the readers that I have and them telling their friends um, and that kind of stuff. So I don't actually spend a whole lot of time on social media. Um, I really kind of focus on writing the next book. And for me, it's kind of worked. And of course, now with Big Library Read, you're going to have all sorts of new readers who are discovering your book, which is actually really kind of cool, I think. I know. I'm really excited. I'm really actually kind of a little nervous. I put a, like an invitation at the back of the book to email me and tell me what you, you know, think about the book. So hopefully we'll get some responses because um, I love hearing from readers. I love hearing what they liked or didn't like and all that stuff. And I'm really excited to be featured with Big Library Read. I know that from your website, you were um, a big reader as a kid. What sort of books did you like to read when you were little? So when I was little, I read very widely. Um, I was homeschooled and um, the whole way through kindergarten through graduating um, high school. And uh, I would finish my work quickly every day because I was ready to get to the reading uh, free time. You know, <laughs> I could read however many books I would. 
So we actually would um, go to our local library. We lived um, on my grandpa's farm, but kind of um, close to a small town. And the kids section was on the top floor. It was a two-story building, um, top floor. And I loved going up there, just the smell of the books. I'm sure the librarian knew me by name because um, she saw me so often. Although I do not remember her name, and I really wish that I did. But I think um, I know that by the time I was 11, they had to give me an adult library card because I had read every single chapter book in the kids section <laughs> um, of the library. So I read very widely. Um, and, you know, I love libraries, um, even still today. Uh, some of my favorites uh, were probably Anne of Green Gables. I had um, like a hardcover of the entire series, like a really massive one. Uh, and I can remember actually reading that one time when I had the chicken pox, like a very vivid memory of that's mm-hmm. what I was reading when I had to stay still in bed. Uh, I also read um, a lot of uh, books with dogs in them. There's an Oklahoma author named Al Lacey. He actually wrote Buffalo Gal, um, and he also wrote uh, some series of dog books um, that were really, really fun. Uh, what else? Uh, James Harriet is another one. He's like an English or Scottish author that wrote a lot of stories. Um, he's one of my favorites as a kid. Um, the whole Little House on the Prairie series uh, was one of my big favorites. Uh, but, you know, there's oh, Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys, just so many, and um, it's really been fun now. So my oldest is going to be going into third grade in the fall, and she is actually a really big reader too. So it's been really fun to pull out the boxes that I had kept of books since I was a child that now I'm passing down on to her and seeing her read them, and we get to talk about them and kind of revisiting some old familiar characters has been really fun to be able to do that with her as well. You have mentioned, you know, you mentioned that you have four kids and a very busy life, and yet you still manage to write all of these books. So for any of our listeners who are listening and, and want to be a writer but don't really know if they have the time, do you have any advice for just finding time to write? Sure. Um, so one of the things that I would say is just to start Um just uh, find, you know, 10 minutes if it's sitting in a doctor's office while your kid's um, back there in the back or while you're waiting, or like soccer practice. I do a lot of writing when my kids are at gymnastics. Um, not a lot, but I do snatches here and there. Um, one of the things, though, like when I talk to people, a lot of I, I talk to a lot of people who say, you know, I want to write a book, but I don't know if I ever could. I think there's actually kind of a fear factor about it, um, you know, and it is really hard to write and finish a book. But there is a point where when you start and you just are working on it and you're kind of facing that fear and you face it down every day as you open the document and add, even if you just add a few more words every day, you're still doing it. And eventually that little voice on your shoulder that says, hey, this book's not going to be any good. What do you think you're doing? Eventually he gets a little quieter and a little quieter. I will say he doesn't ever go away. (laughs) So even after 40 books, uh, I actually just uh, finished a rough draft of, of one last week. And he was still there saying, are you kidding me? This is like the worst book you've ever written. I can't believe you're going to just put this out there. But the thing is, if you can get it on paper and if you can finish a first draft, you can go back and fix anything that's wrong with it. But you can't fix a blank page. Like, there's no way to to go in and and make a blank page be interesting. Um, So one of the things I always say is just start. And then another really piece of advice that helped me a lot in my career was um, just find 
a local writers group if you can. If you can't find a local group, find an online group. Um, there's just something about writers. Um, we're a little bit different than everybody else. And when you're in a room full of other writers, it's people who get you and who understand you. And um, having them is just invaluable. And, you know, if you can, find one person from that group who can be an accountability partner and just let them know what your goals are. And and they will hold you to it or they can at least encourage you at times when you feel like giving up. Um, I still uh, actually, from my local writers group, I still have a book that was signed to me from one of the published authors in the group. And I just felt like she was so amazing because she had, I don't remember how many books published, but she signed it to me. And it was before I was published at all. And she said, I can't wait to read your first book. And I still have it on my shelf. Um, this stuff like that can be so encouraging when you don't know what you're doing and you're second guessing yourself. Um, and, and just having even one person who gets it and who gets you can be really awesome because they can be your cheerleader and help you help you move on. I love that she signed the book that way. That's amazing. Yeah, she's a really wonderful lady. We're still really good friends. <laughs> so at the end of all of our episodes, we have something we call the Nerd Nine, which are nine lighthearted questions. Don't put too much thought into them, okay? Sure, okay. What is the last book you finished reading? Um, I am in the middle of reading Rainy Day Friends by Jill Chavez, actually, right now. And it's really fun and cute. <laughs> What is a book that made you fall in love with reading? Uh, there is a big um, hardcover collection of James Harriet's stories that my grandma gave me um, when I was little. She was one of my biggest cheerleaders. She actually passed away last year, but she gave me so many of the books that I still have in my collection. And there's like little inscriptions in the front of all of them. She gave me that one. I was probably eight or nine. I don't know. And I've read it. So many times. Um, that's one that I'm actually holding back that I am not giving on to my daughter yet because I don't want it to get torn up. I don't want the pages to get crinkled or anything like that. So that's probably the one that I would say really inspired my love of reading. Your favorite place to read? Um, I actually have a little hiding place in my master closet. Um, the closet's really big, and so I have, like, a rocking chair in there, and there's a lock on the door so I can, like, sneak back in there and kind of hide away for a little bit of time while the kids are doing whatever they're doing. Um, and that's probably my favorite place. Or a beach. A beach is also a really great place to, to read. What is one place you would like to travel to that you haven't been to yet? So for me, I would love to travel to Great Britain. Um, I love reading Regency stories. Um, I actually have a couple of unfinished ones there. Um, and my husband is a big fan of the Tour de France, uh, which is actually going to start in a couple weeks. So we've talked about, you know, taking a big trip over there, go to France, go to Great Britain, and do all that stuff. And it's on our bucket list because for right now, the kids are just too small, either for us to leave them for a long time or for them to really be fun to take on a long trip like <laughs> so not related but i love regency romance so if you ever write one i would definitely be all about that um do you oh, sure. <laughs> okay. what is your favorite holiday my favorite holiday is christmas um it always has been ever since i was a little kid and now um having kids it's just really fun to see the holidays through their eyes to you know hear them say let's go look at christmas lights or all the new traditions that we're making with our family um love christmas cats or dogs 
dogs. Um, we have two, and uh, usually when I'm riding, one of them is either on my feet or on my lap. Are you a coffee or tea drinker? I would say tea. Um, my husband and I, neither one of us have ever gotten into the coffee thing, but I do like tea on occasion. Favorite food? Um, probably seafood or a really good steak. And who is one person, dead or alive, that you would like to have dinner with? You know, I listened to one of your guys' podcasts a few weeks ago, and I heard this question, and I've been racking my brain to try and think of who would be a good one to say. So I'm just going to go with Jane Austen because I love her writing, and I think she must have just been a really awesome lady back then. So we'll go with Jane. Finally, what do you hope readers take away from reading Cowboy Pride? Um, I hope that this book gives them a little bit of joy. Um, you know, life can really be hectic um, if you have kids or you have a great job that you're really passionate about. And I write for people who are like me, who, you know, have that busy life and really just want to find a little escape in the few minutes before bed or on a weekend or whatever. And I really hope that it just brings them joy into their life. That's perfect. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Lacey. Thank you for hosting me, Jill. It's really been fun to talk to you. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place, the sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com.